Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you can all hear us. My name is Laura Prouse and I'm with Crest Insurance Services and we appreciate your time this morning in joining us. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Crest, we have been providing real estate, and emissions insurance and risk management services to real estate professionals, agents and brokers for over 20 years. We believe that every agent and broker should have the right tools to succeed so we hope that you find this webinar informative and helpful with your career. This morning, we are delighted to have attorney Tom O'Connell talking about litigation prevention. Tom has been defending real estate professionals since 1986 and has also been working with Crest policyholders, offering, offering them a real estate defense and providing risk management services for more than 20 years, basically since we've been in business. Tom's presentation today is round one of tips for real estate agents to avoid litigation in Texas. And before we get started and I hand this over to Tom, I just have a few housekeeping items. We will have a Q&A at the end. If you notice on your screen, you'll see a little um, Q&A box. If you wanna type your question in there as the presentation is proceeding, we'll go ahead and read those to Tom at the end. And if we don't have enough time to answer all questions, um, we will certainly send out a list of questions and answers when we send out a copy of this webinar. So without any further ado, I'm gonna hand this over to Tom and I will remain muted. Tom, take it away. Hello everybody, uh, my name's Tom O'Connell and as Laura said, I'm an attorney with Gant Cone, Benny and Kidd. Um, that's right outside Houston in the Woodlands for those of you that familiar with that area. And as Laura mentioned, I have been defending real estate agents since 1986. So that's kind of what this is, a compilation of tips that I can give you today to hopefully avoid litigation. And the format, the way this is going to work is I'll talk a little bit about each of the topics. And then I'll give you an example of that. And it's going to be actual, actual out of actual lawsuits I've handled. And we'll go over how to answer that. So, um, Without further ado, what I want to do is the first thing I'm going to talk about is the importance in disclosing defects. And with that in mind, um, I've got I've got a video here that I want to show you. It's out of uh, brother uh, step brothers, and so if nothing else, that shows you how what bad taste I have in movies. But this is to ram home the point that you make sure you always disclose your defects. So let's go ahead and start that video. Got a really dope front lawn here. You and your homeboys can play on that. You know what? You can you can just say it looks good. <laughs> That's yeah. how I talk. Oh, you got a really fresh entryway here. Pretty awesome. Look at the front oh. of the house, which is actually. Will you vultures please give us some privacy? He just died last night. What is going on here? It was the asbestos in here. That's what did it. I've seen too many dead bodies. I, I can't. No, I, no, no, I can't no, no, be no. in here. No, 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 no. I can't. No. I can't. Not bad. Okay, so if that doesn't ram the point that you need to disclose defects, I don't know what will, but like I said, that also illustrates what bad taste I have in movies. I hope some of you remember that from before as far as that movie. But again, like I said, disclose, disclose, disclose. It's, the reason why that's so important, and based on my experience in, in handling uh, th these real estate errors and omissions cases, it's been my experience of probably three out of every four errors and omissions cases against you all that I've handled involve an allegation that you failed to disclose a material defect. And therefore, it's essential that you disclose all potential de defects that you're aware of and make sure they acknowledge receive the same. One good way to think of that is if you're asking yourself if the condition is something that should be disclosed, then you should disclose it. 
Now, agents should be, you know, you all should be thinking you don't want to scare off potential buyers by disclo disclosing seemingly unimportant problems, but you could end up being far, far more costly in the long run if you're dragged into a lawsuit by an outright buyer about an undisclosed defect. Now, the other point is that the, if your seller client doesn't want to have a possible problem disclosed, you should simply walk away from the listing. Now, here's the example I have for you. A contract comes in on a listing that an agent has. An inspection is done by a licensed inspector, which reveals potential problems with the foundation. Now that deal falls through when the potential buyer fails to obtain, obtain financing. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Now another contract comes in, and this time a structural engineer conducts the inspection of the foundation and gives it a clean bill of health. Now you as the agent, you're confident the report from the engineer must be more accurate than the one from the inspector. The agent does not disclose the prior report. Now what problem, if any, can result from that? Now, I think some of you may be catching on to this, that basically, among other potential problems, if it turns out there's a problem with the foundation and they end up filing suit, the, the buyer's attorney in a failure to disclose a foundation defect lawsuit is going to allege the earlier report was a material fact that should have been disclosed. Therefore, the previous report should have been disclosed to avoid potential litigation. And the other point also, and I'm sure some of you already think of this, that most disclosure forms include a specific space to include such a report in the TAR form. So make sure that you all use those, okay? Let's go to the next thing I wanna say. Discl document everything, all right? What I want you to do is keep a transaction log and document everything in the file because it's always a good idea to keep a transaction log of what occurs in the file. The, the reason being that the outcome of a lawsuit can come down to a he said, she said scenario. And if I, as your lawyer, have written documentation to evidence what happened, that could possibly sway a jury in your favor. Now, you can't ever enter everything, but it's always a good idea to list certain items, including one, the contents of meaningful telephone conversation, two, record important occurrences such as inspection reports, and three, each time an agent provides any report, have them sign off on it, okay? Now, here's where you may wanna get your pen and pencils out. When you keep a log for each entry, you should always put down number one, the date of the event, number two, a narrative of what occurred, and number three, always enter the information in chronological order at the time of occurrence, all right? Because if you enter the information at a later date, for example, after you've received a demand letter, it's, it's just gonna look like you're recreating a version to support your position, all right? Now, here's the example I'm gonna give you. After the agent provides his client a seller's disclosure form to fill out as a part of the listing process, the client contacts you as the agent and tell you the form is confusing and she needs you as the agent to help her fill out the form. Does that sound familiar? Now, here's what you do, of course, after informing your client that you can assist the client and that the client, client herself has to fill out the form, what should you as the agent do immediately afterwards to avoid potential litigation and why? Now, the reason being is that you, you should, you as the agent should immediately enter into your, your own log in chronological order, the date and the narrative of what occurred, just like what I told you because as stated above, being able to present the chronological log of your version of what happened could assist a jury in a trial years after the transaction to believe your version of the facts. Now, again, I'm in Harris County, that's Houston, and it can sometimes take three or four, even five years for a trial to actually occur. So that's why it's, make, it's so important to make sure you document everything in the file. And that way it would no longer be a he said, she said contest, but instead you have actual documentation to bolster our position, all right? Let's go to the next thing. Unknown territory. I think that's about as unknown as you get the picture I have here. Don't venture into unknown territory. 
Because one quick way for you to embroil yourself in a lawsuit is to agree to be involved in transactions far beyond your expertise or in unfamiliar geographical areas. The reason being that certain types of transactions require special expertise, such as commercial transactions, and certain geographical areas may have requirements or characteristics that you as the agent may be unfamiliar with. All right. Now, let's, of course, I can't see you all here, but normally I would say if this is live, I want everyone to raise their hands, but tell me if you've ever heard of an estoppel letter. All right. Because the point being, if you've never heard of an estoppel letter, that's E-S-T-O-P-P-E-L, guess what? You shouldn't be handling commercial transactions, all right? Now, let me give you the example here. An agent with experience in handling only residential transactions is contacted by an individual to have the agent assist him or her in purchasing a small commercial office building. Let's say that's you. Now, there are other agents in the office that have expertise in representing such buyers. However, you, seeing the opportunity for a large commission and unwilling to split your commission, decide to not enlist the help of other qualified agents and you, the client ultimately closes on this office building. Now, guess what's going to happen? Shortly after the closing, numerous problems with the office building pop up and a subsequent lawsuit against you by the buyer is determined there are numerous steps you as the agent did not take that would have been the custom and practice of a real, commercial real estate agent. Do you see my point here? Now, what's the answer to that? Now, you're going to either decline the listing, which I know you're not going to do, or more likely enlist the aid of a qualified agent in the office to assist you in the transaction. Because the point being, doing the right thing early on can be smarter and less costly in the long run. All right? Let's go to the next one. E&O, the importance of carrying E&O insurance. Now, the point here is you should always carry E&O insurance. And, give you an example. I've actually had real estate brokers or agents tell me they don't carry E&O insurance, not only because of the cost, but also because they feel that carrying insurance makes them a target for litigation. All right. In addition, some agents and brokers feel that even if a judgment's entered against them that is not satisfied because they don't have any insurance, they're going to keep selling real estate. However, experience shows that the benefits of carrying E&O insurance far outweigh any drawbacks. So let's go ahead and go through our example here. A listing real estate agent is sued by a buyer alleging that the agent failed to disclose a defect. This agent doesn't have any insurance and decides he can't afford an attorney after every attorney he visits with wants a minimum $10,000 retainer. Welcome to the real world, folks. So he files his own answer to the lawsuit, the agent does. The buyer's attorney then takes the agent's deposition in addition to the fact that the agent makes numerous admissions against his interests he may not have made otherwise if he had the benefit of counsel. This attorney discovers for the first time the agent doesn't carry E&O insurance. However, my attorney in my example is familiar with something called the Real Estate Recovery Fund and pursuant to the Real Estate Reco uh, Licensing Act, which provides that if they get a judgment against that agent for activities incur incurred in connection with the services, then they can collect up to $50,000 per incident from the, from the fund. Since you as the agent don't have representation, the buyer's attorney can e easily obtain a judgment against you and thereafter collect the amount of the judgment up to $50,000 from, from the fund. And what's, let me tell you folks, what's gonna, what do you think the, um, the truck's gonna do with your license after they pay up like that? Well, they're gonna thereafter probably suspend your license. They're not even considered giving, uh, giving you your license back till you pay them back. And in fact, your conduct may be so egregious that they're not even gonna 
you're not even going to get your license. So the example I just gave you illustrates the idea that you aren't going to get sued um, because you don't have E&O insurance is simply not true because in a typical real estate E&O lawsuit, as I mentioned, is not until well under the discovery process, sometime after suit is filed, when this attorney determines that there's no E&O coverage applicable. Therefore, you're already in the lawsuit and whether you have E&O insurance has no bearing on whether you get sued. And even more importantly, the example I gave you also shows that without E&O insurance, you run a much higher risk of having a judgment entered against you because you're more likely to not have adequate representation because of the cost. So therefore, you should never put yourself in harm's way by rolling the dice or by not having E&O insurance. Now, the next part I have on that on the slide is always notify your E&O carrier of claims. Now, what can happen if you don't? Um, now, if up to this point, you just thought you're gonna nod off a little bit, you might not wanna wake up now because this can directly affect your pocketbook. The point here is always timely notify your E&O insurance carrier and your office rep of any potential claims. Now, as I said, you should always turn those in because otherwise you could end up with no coverage even though your company has an E&O policy in place. Now, how does that sound? That goes not only for obvious claims such as demands in the lawsuits, but also other less obvious potential claims as well, such as subpoena to produce documents or to testify. Since the definition of a claim and an E&O policy is generally pretty broad, but it's usually when you have knowledge of any incident which may give rise to requests for damages, you guys can't assume that something as innocuous as a simple subpoena isn't a claim. Now let's go over the example, another lawsuit I handled. After a real estate agent assists a buyer client in purchasing a house, the client sends a demand letter to the agent threatening to sue the agent because of an undisclosed defect and demands $5,000 in the letter to get the problem fixed. Now, as far as me handling this, this is what I had to do clean up afterwards, but let's go through the rest of this. The agent calls the buyer and the buyer tells him that he has since calmed down and knows the agent didn't know anything wrong, so he should disregard the notice, all right? So that's exactly what you do, and you throw away the letter without informing the manager or the E&O carrier about it. You know, that's your good friend, Billy Bob, and he said, don't worry about it. You know, just go ahead and throw it away, and that's exactly what you do. Now, here's the problem. When the E&O policy comes up for renewal shortly afterwards, your broker is going to fill out the application without disclosing the potential claim since he was unaware of it because you didn't tell him about it. And afterwards, your, your, the agency obtains a new policy with a new carrier. Six months later, the buyer sees a lawyer, this is your good friend, Billy Bob, and the lawyer files a lawsuit against the agent and everyone else involved in, in it. The agent then gives the lawsuit to the broker, says, here, take care of this. The broker submits to the carrier. And what's the carrier gonna do? They're gonna deny coverage because the claim was not disclosed in the application as required. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? You don't have E&O insurance even though, though you paid for it, all right? Now, the answer to this is, once you receive the demand letter, anything that could be construed as a claim, you should have notified your E&O carer and your real estate agency rep for two reasons. First, as I mentioned, you don't wanna put yourself in a position of having no coverage at all since you didn't disclose the claim timely to the carrier. Secondly, if you timely submit the claim with no exclusions, the carrier will usually assign a knowledgeable attorney to represent your interests, okay? It's never a good idea to go through any kind of legal proceeding without the advantage of legal counsel. And we kind of talked about that before. Now that even applies for your subpoena to testify in a deposition. Now you may think there's no risk that you're not presently named in the lawsuit, but without adequate representation, you run a higher risk of being brought in the lawsuit afterwards since you didn't have the opportunity to advance to confer with counsel, all right? Hopefully that's a good point as well for you. Now let's talk about this one. 
limiting your liability as an information obtained from other sources. Another wake up time. How do you as a real estate agent limit your liability you put information in your marketing materials obtained from other sources. The problem with this is that if you utilize information from other sources about the character condition of the property, if that's not accurate, you may be liable for damages. Now, what I call the, it was called the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Act, or I'll call it the DTPA, does provide for a possible out to liability. And let me explain this to you. Here's my example. As I said, the problem is if you're wrong on this, you may be liable for damages, damages regardless of whether or not you knew it was wrong. Now, as an example, let's say you're the listing agent and your seller client tells you the square feet. Now, without knowing if it's correct, you advertise the property on a flyer as having 5,500 square feet. The potential purchaser sees this and relies on the information on purchasing it and discovers later on it's only 4,500 square feet, all right? Since even innocent misrepresentation, misrepresentations are actionable under DTPA, you could be held responsible. Now here's the kicker. Now I'm gonna read this to you and then I'm gonna explain it to you. There's a defense on the DTPA if you provide notice in writing to the buyer that the information was obtained from another source and you did not know and could not reasonably have known the information was false, all right? So in other words, tell them where you got it from in writing. It's as simple as that. In the scenario I gave you, if the flyer stated and said 5,500 square feet per owner and you did not know and could not have reasonably known it was false, then you have a, a defense to a DTPA claim. Now, how simple is that, folks? But I'm telling you time and time again, the agents don't bother doing this. So in summary, if you're going to provide specific acreage about the property, such as square footage or amount of acreage from a third source, then always disclose in writing the source of the information. Now, I'm gonna give you a couple other examples. I had a case one time where it was advertised, horses okay, all right? or horses allowed. The problem was that was when, the, when they purchased it was, it turns out horses weren't okay, or they weren't allowed because it was deed restricted. What happened here is she, they simply put on the MLS or on the, the flyer, horses okay. And they got the information from the seller. What should they have put down? Horses okay per seller. Simple as that folks, all right? Let me give you another example. Someone's put down, for example, a new roof. I had a case where it actually, the agent says, what's the problem here? I actually saw him putting the roof down. The problem was it's something called an overlay, all right? So that's an issue as well. It wasn't really a new roof, all right? But remember, well, I'm gonna make other point, one other point. Even if you're gonna list down the source of the information, don't ever put this down, guys. Don't ever put down that the property's in mint condition or excellent condition, because you really don't know what condition the property is unless you're the actual seller of the property, and that creates its own problems. But again, remember, you can't have known that the information was incorrect. For example, I had a lawsuit where the uh, agent referenced in his listing the, the square footage of 3,200 square foot per builder, all right? Which is the way you're supposed to do it. The problem was that that agent actually had a prior appraisal report that indicated it was 2,800 square feet. So you see what I'm saying? It's not just enough to, uh, to disclose the source of the information, but you need to disclose everything, all right? So you can't rely on that if you have other information that would indicate it was false. But again, like I said, always use that TAR information from other sources form. Um, that's a really good tip. The other thing I wanna mention is, when you're getting it from somebody like your, your seller, always make sure that they sign off on it, all right? Because your good friend, I call him Billy Bob in my example, they're gonna turn on you in a minute, all right? When it comes to money or getting sued and so forth. Because what's gonna happen is they're gonna take 
your deposition and and the, or take um, excuse me take your client's deposition and they're going to point to this uh disclosure and they're going to say okay where did it says right here it says per owner where did you did you give them that information and they're going to say absolutely not i don't know where they got that from and so it's always a good idea for them to initial off on the flyer or whatever and keep that in your records because otherwise they're going to turn on you like, like i said like a dime or on a dime and uh, you don't want to see that happen okay that's it for so uh, let's go ahead and do the question and answer time. Okay, Tom, I have a question for you. That was really informative. So uh, hopefully as well for everybody else, I'm sure. So I have the first question. What do you see as some of the types of high-risk transactions that real estate agents get involved in? Okay, that's a real easy one because I've seen this time and time again. The, the biggest problem is when the agent selling his or her own house because in these failure to disclose cases it's always a the question is did the agent have actual knowledge of the defect and i can almost always rely on the fact that the agent didn't know about the defect that's not going to be the case if you're selling your own house usually so that in and of itself creates some major problems and i've seen it time and time again as a matter of fact i'm involved in one a lawsuit right now where the co-defendant agency is, is involved in that situation as well. So again, the biggest risk I see is when the seller is also happens to be the agent because basically they have knowledge of the problem, of any problems with the house, all right? Excellent. So I just wanna encourage all of you to um, please type in your questions to the Q&A box if you see that on your, I have another question from Ryan, um, what if I, what about if I put a disclaimer in my information? Will that keep me from getting sued? Okay. I've been asked this question before as well and some of the, uh, I put on some other seminars as well. So the, what my advice is it's always a good idea to put a disclaimer in there, all right? Because it does provide you some protection. And, you know, for example, you know, you shouldn't rely on this information and so forth. But there is a problem with that, all right? Again, I'm advising, you know, the, you know, what we're saying is you should, disclaimers are always a good idea, but in a DTPA claim, you can't, um, you can't disclaim liability, okay? And the example I'm gonna give you here is what if um, you have actual knowledge of a defect, all right? And you got a your little disclaimer, you can't rely on the information provi I provide you. Well, that's not gonna work because you have actual knowledge of the problem, okay? So the moral of the story is disclaimers are a good idea, I think you all should always do that, but it's not necessarily gonna get you off the hook, all right? Including the example I just gave you. All right. Okay, I have one more, actually two more questions. They're coming in here. Um, any recommended software apps or programs oh. that help document or collect narratives, photos, or other records? Okay. I'm personally not aware, but Tom, I, you're, no, you're, you're, you're way behind my, beyond my pay scale there. As a matter of fact, I'm also the, I'm not the technological guy around here. That's why I have my uh, technology guy standing right next to me. But yeah, I, I, I'm not aware of what any kind of uh, um, programs and things like that. Um, I mean, there's I mean, it's, it's the same thing that you can get a lot of the information from seminars and things like that. Uh, but I'm not aware from a perspective of software. I couldn't tell you what the answer to that would be. Okay, I have one last question, but this is a general question. Um, just, are we going to have a, a webinar on property management? And yes, we definitely need a webinar on property management, so I can talk to Tom about that. 
Any questions? Oh, that, that, that reminds me one other yes. thing is that we're going to have a follow-up to this, um, I think, in that right, Lauren? To, like I said, we went over five or six examples of how to avoid litigation, and I've got about the same amount still that I can give you. So I think in the next month or two, I think Laura's planning on me doing round two of the session. So, um, you know, I'm sure Laura will let you know as soon as that gets scheduled. Absolutely. In fact, I was just going to go ahead and wrap it up so we can keep everybody on schedule because I know they have properties to sell. So, yes, we are going to have a round two. Um, in fact, you'll be getting a copy of this webinar. So you'll have this for reference. And then we will let you know when we have round two coming out. So we'll definitely get that on calendar. I want to thank you all for attending. And I, a special thank you to Tom for giving us his time and his expertise. 20 plus years of knowledge goes a long way in claims prevention. So with that, I'll go ahead and wrap this up and thank you all for coming. And again, thank you to Tom and thank you to Ryan, his assistant, for all of our technology challenges this morning and assistance. Have a great day and we'll be in touch soon with up upcoming seminars.